One big reason why trust in the mainstream media has dipped to all-time lows is the near constant stream of supposed blockbuster stories about President Donald Trump during his time in office that turned out to be either blown way out of proportion or twisted or manufactured to fit a narrative that did not remotely match reality. That is part of the latest piece by Stacy Matthews at LegalInsurrection.com. And Stacy joins us now. Hey, Stacy, how are you? Welcome back. Pete, it's an honor to be on your show. I'm so glad to hear you back on the Charlotte Airways. Well, thank you. It's gl- I'm glad to be back. And you're you're a local gal yourself. So um, looking forward to uh, to reconnecting with you and having you on more often. And hey, you know, if you want to come on into the studio at some point, we can make that happen, too. Um, Absolutely. And, and, I, and I should state for the record before we get started that I don't need a biologist to determine what the definition of a woman is. I know what the meaning is. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. There you go. That's good to know up, uh, up front. Yeah. Stacey Matthews also uh, may be known to you as a blogger, a Twitterer named Sister Tolja. And uh, so but you're now you're, you're published all over the place. Uh, and so I see this uh, this piece at Legal Insurrection. And I got to be honest, I wasn't really following the. Uh, the latest story about the seven-hour phone call gap. I saw it kind of bubbling up the other day, but I've now uh, I've I've now learned to not even bother reading a news story if it doesn't make it past a forty-eight-hour news cycle uh, when it comes to Donald Trump. Because I mean, more often than not, right? It it turns out this stuff is just not to be believed, and this is the case with this seven-hour phone call gap story, right? Right. Well, the interesting thing about the story is, uh, Pete, uh, one of the interesting things is is that the story actually first broke back in February. That basically the same story got recycled last week for some unknown reason. I don't know if it's because Bob Woodward's name was on it this time and maybe they figured it had more uh, weight to it or whatever. But uh, the show, the story was actually first broken by the New York Times. And Back in February, um, not that many people were making a big deal about it because even in the New York Times story, they were noting that this supposed uh, gap in, in the phone call logs um, maybe maybe wasn't that big of a deal because Trump was known to to not always you know go through the switchboard or whatever to make phone calls, um, which was an, actually not unusual for any any president, according to the New York Times. But it resurfaced again. The story did last week, maybe because Joe Biden's ratings are in a free fall and. Uh, he and Kamala Harris are continuing to embarrass the United States on a world stage. But anyway, um, it, it's regarding, a, I think it was a seven-hour, supposed seven-hour and 45-minute gap uh, that the media, uh, once they got a hold of the story again, uh, used it to insinuate, of course, that uh, this maybe meant that Donald Trump was using back channels, hidden secret back channels to conspire with other uh, officials uh, uh, regarding the alleged Capitol riot plot. Uh, and as it turns out, the story was a big nothing burger, and we know that because uh, not only did the New York Times report that two months ago, but CNN actually spoke to numerous sources that, that said that likely there was an explanation for the, the the gap, that there wasn't really a gap at all. Right. So this, and for folks who may not be following uh, where the gap is and where it isn't and why it's normal, why it's not, so there are obviously different methods of communication that the president uses. One method is to route calls through the White House switchboard, right? That's the official mm-hmm. switchboard. And that's the that's the 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 platform that has the the gap. And they're saying, "Well, he didn't use the switchboard 
to dial out or take any calls for these eight hours, almost seven hours, 45 minutes, you say. And so, therefore, he was probably using burner phones, I think is what I heard somebody say. It's a burner phone. First off, I don't even think Donald Trump knows what a burner phone is. But um, maybe somebody in his circle does, and they they gave it to him. Like, this was the allegation or the insinuation. And so he was directing all of this. But as it turns out, no. Right? He's got a bit of a history of not using the switchboard and using other people's phones. Right. He uses landlines or cell phones, whether it's his cell phone or a staffer's uh, cell phone. And that actually is not was not uncommon for other presidents as well, but even you know, to not always go through the switchboard when they made a phone call. Um, and like I said, this story broke two months ago, and, it, and the New York Times, of all places, essentially painted it as a nothing burger uh, other than saying it made it harder for the January 6th committee to piecemeal Trump's calls from that day together to know what he was saying and who he was conferring with and all and all this stuff. So like I said, it's just it's 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 kind of funny to me that this story resurfaced last week for for really in in my opinion no other reason than to maybe take some heat off of Joe Biden. Right. And and uh, maybe uh sort of uh puff up the January sixth committee that right. still so far I'm kind of at a loss uh, I, I'm waiting. I'm still waiting and still waiting. Where's all of the evidence? Where's all of this investigation leading? And uh, I'm still waiting for that. So maybe it's maybe it's partly to distract from that. But to your point about the the role of the media, there's there isn't really another explanation for why all of a sudden this would kind of bubble back up when the story already existed. There isn't any new information here, and there isn't any proof or evidence that's offered to corroborate any of the the insinuation. So somebody obviously wanted this story to bubble back up again and the media accommodated, which kind of speaks to the whole problem in the first place where you talked about the Russia collusion narrative that the media carried the water for the intelligence community and the democratic party in order to try to, you know, get Donald Trump defeated in the election. Right, and then they then they used it after he was elected to um, try to impeach him. Mm-hmm. With. Uh, so, and, and they're still, you know, claiming that there was collusion between Trump and Russia when there's no evidence whatsoever. The only evidence that exists that we know of right now is of the exact opposite, which was uh, the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign um, colluding with uh, high-level intelligence officials in the Obama-Biden administration to uh, prop up this fake dossier as evidence that Trump was colluding with Russia. Right. And yeah. And creating the dossier, funding it through the campaign, through the um, uh, the DNC, uh, uh, laundering the money through Perkins Coie law firm. So to try and pretend that it, it wasn't coming directly uh, as a political operation and then trying to sell it to the FBI that, oh, we're just concerned citizens. Meanwhile, using what the the personal info, I mean, they're just scraping data. That's coming from, was it at Georgia Tech or something like that, that got access mm-hmm. to this government grant program. So they got all this data coming out of the White House and the president's personal residence and all of this. And, and, and it's just amazing to me that nobody seems particularly interested in that side of this story. They, they, I, guess that's, I guess that's the power of the media. They can just dispose of certain stories. It, they, it, it just, you know, the, the, the real story shatters all the fake narratives um, about Trump and Russia 
that we heard for over four years. And that, that's why we don't hear much about it. Mm-hmm. And when you bring it up, they don't want to talk about it. You know, um, it's like uh, uh, Chuck Todd, um, uh, Republican congressman, I forget the, the gentleman's name, I, I'm sorry, um, from North Dakota, was on with Chuck Todd a couple of days ago and meet the press. Chuck Todd, I mean, uh, the the uh, senator brought the issue up with Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd didn't want to talk about it. Chuck mm-hmm. Todd was actually got really angry when he said, "Hey, you know, you you know, they they were talking about the Hunter Biden story, and and uh, the and the senator said, well, you know, you guys uh, suppressed the Hunter Biden story, and and uh, they said, but the real story, you know, uh, you know, there are other real stories that you also won't cover, like you know, the Russia collusion." nonsense it was just and chuck todd was like i don't want to hear it and this is not about the media a lot a lot of what a lot of what you know what goes on now is because of the media and what they choose to cover and what they don't they manipulate stories they manipulate people's emotions based on the story selections they choose um and it's it's just like like you said at the beginning it's it's a reason a big reason why trust in the media is at an all-time low not just with republicans but a fair number of independents uh, also no longer trust the media, uh, in part, uh, based on uh, how they acted over the last four years. Stacy Matthews, you can read this piece. It's called Trump's seven-hour phone call gap story turns out to be another media mal- uh, manufactured hoax. It is at legalinsurrection.com. Stacy, great to talk with you. We'll do it again soon. Th- thanks. You too, Pete. Thank All right. you. Yes, take care. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender Show. Thanks again to Stacey Matthews from LegalInsurrection.com for joining us. I do appreciate it. It's always good to talk with Stacey. She's a longtime warrior in the trenches. In the Twitter trenches. <laughs> uh, all right, so we got a call during the break, I guess, after I was doing the uh, the live read endorsement for PhD Weight Loss and Nutrition. So Bernie, producer Bernie, um, you got a call and somebody's asking a question? Yeah, he just asked, uh, you know, what were the effects that maybe you had dealt with um, after you've lost all the weight? Was there, you know, loose skin issues that you had? How long did it take for you to get back to, you know, where you'd like to see yourself? Is that something that you dealt with? So I was not, I lost 92 pounds. There's like, you've probably seen those TV shows. My wife and I watched some of them the, thousand pound sisters or my 600 pound life. And the people who get those surgeries, they end up with all that extra skin. I did not have that. Um, but I don't think I was large enough to get that kind of extra skin. You know, right? there is a little bit though on the side, but it's, it's, it's receding because the skin eventually goes back and they say the nutritionist to PhD said you can put cocoa butter, I think is what they said. And you can, Rub that on, and it helps to tighten the skin up, and that's sort of, you know where I see it is right here under my neck. Mm-hmm. This little bit right there, and it's like this thin, like uh, vertical piece of skin, like right from the bottom of the chin, and it runs right to the clavicle, right. And it's just this one thing, and I keep, and it feels so weird, and I keep just kind of like pinching it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because that was all filled with fat for so long. It was just my whole face was all puffy, you know, my whole neck. And actually, I don't even use the CPAP machine anymore. Oh, got, rid, got rid of the CPAP machine. I didn't get rid of it because, you know, if I end up with sleep apnea, I'm, it's in my family history. So I'm going to hold on to it, but I don't snore anymore. So I don't sleep with the CPAP anymore. So 
Look, if they're if you're people have to be ready to make the decision to do a lifestyle change. And if you're tired of being in that sort of same cycle over and over where I was over and over again, where I'm going to, I'm going to do better. And I'm, you're trying to use the same tools and the same knowledge base. And that hasn't worked. You're not going to get different results. Um, and that's why when they sit down with you at PhD, they sit down with you and they ask you a bunch of questions. They have a questionnaire and they walk through this stuff with you and they interview you as much as you interview them, because they want to make sure that you're not going to come in there, waste your time, your money, their time, uh, and their money to, to embark upon this journey if you're not really wanting to do it. There's another thing also, and I realize like I'm talking a lot about this, but this is one of the deals. I, I like talking about it because I get so many emails from people who ask me questions about, oh, what do you eat? How do you do this? And, and I want to encourage as many people as possible. And it's really a great feeling to let, when you find out that people have been inspired to do similar things. There's this other tendency though, <clears throat> which is, Oh, but you're just going to put it all back on, right? Or how do you know you're not going to put it all back on? And I understand where those questions come from. They come from a, a you know, it, it comes from a place of support, I think, and and worry, but also an excuse. It's sort of like an excuse because I'll get it from people who are interested in looking into the program, but they don't want to do the work. They don't, they're afraid of doing it. They're afraid that their life is going to change. They don't want to make the changes. And so they say, well, you know, I was just going to put it back on anyway. And it becomes something that becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's so destructive. You don't have to live like that. And they help you break that, uh, that cycle of psychological uh, thought process as well. So I'm a big fan. I'll talk about it. Anybody has any questions, you are free to email me, Pete at the Pete calendar show.com. I'll happy. I'm happy to answer any of these questions. Uh, that you have. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. Happy Tuesday, by the way. Sorry to all of the Tar Heel fans, Tar Heel Nation. I don't know what happened. Uh, I was watching. I fell asleep at some point. I woke up, and the Tar Heels had, like, this big lead going into the halftime. I dozed off for a little bit. I came to, and then they lost. So I blame myself. I'm sorry. I was watching. They were winning. I fell asleep. They lost. I'm sorry. Also, by the way, I washed my car the other day, and so I'm sorry for that, uh, the rain that's coming. All right. So now that I've got that off my chest, the um, so the Hunter Biden story, we talked a little bit about this with Stacey Matthews, the Hunter Biden story. Um, there are two parallel or two layers to this story. First, there's the obvious Biden family corruption story. And then there is the media, big tech, uh, political party censorship side of the story, right? And again, keep in mind that uh, one of the rules of journalism is that when the scandal is about a Republican, then the story is the scandal. And when uh, the scandal is about a Democrat, then the story is 
the Republican reaction to that scandal. It's not the scandal. It's the, how the Republicans are pouncing. They are seizing. Uh, I, I saw now there may be another one getting worked in here, which is crying over. Saw that headline this week as well. So the Washington Post editorial board, of all places, they wrote a, and it's an editorial, as editorial boards are known to do, um, they wrote a piece called The Hunter Biden Story is an Opportunity for a Reckoning of Other People. Okay, they didn't say that last part. I say that last part. But they're not reckoning with themselves on this. There's no, wow, we really screwed it up. It's just excuse peddling. You'll hear what I mean. So Hunter Biden's business dealings, right? They say there was something grotesquely familiar about last week's revelations about Biden's business dealings abroad, both in the story's particulars and in the more general saga of sleazy self-dealing into which it fits. The idea that these latest revelations definitively vindicate or villainize any party except Mr. Biden himself, however, is misplaced. See, so right out of the gate, right out of the gate, they're like, there's got to be a reckoning. This is sleazy business dealings, but this is only about him, just him. Which, of course, anybody who has followed the actual story of the Hunter Biden laptop and the business dealings that now the Washington Post acknowledges are sleazy. Everybody knows, anybody that's followed it knows that Joe Biden is implicated as well. We all know that. We've known that for two years, right? Or, yeah, two years. Since it broke, since the story was first reported, I'm not some super hacker able to get past the the Twitter and Facebook blocks of the New York Post story. I just went to their website and I was able to read the story. And then I saw the interviews with Bobolinsky. Remember that guy? One of the partners of Hunter Biden who spilled the beans, talked about all of the, the shady dealings and the, the, the emails, the emails that say 10% for the big guy. Who's the big guy? That's a very simple. Hey, WAPO, Washington Post editors. Not that they listen, but if I were able to tell them, I would say, hey, why don't you just go and ask for an interview with Bubulinski? Or better yet, at the next press conference, oh, actually, there's one. There's one going to happen, like, now. Yeah, there's one right now. Obama's there. They're trying to rehab old Joe. They're trying to, like, remind everybody Joe is just a surrogate for Obama and his crowd. So maybe throw a question out at Joe and say, hey, are you the big guy? When your son said, don't forget 10% off the top for the big guy, was he talking about you? I think that's a fair question because that would implicate Joe Biden. That's why this idea that, oh, you shouldn't, the revelations, they say, definitively don't vindicate or villainize anyone except Hunter Biden. See, so they're trying, that's misplaced if you're trying to do that. that they don't definitively vindicate or villainize. See, so that's the that's the word uh, that they're hanging a lot on, doing a heavy lift there, the word definitively. Well, how do you get definitively? Well, I don't know. Maybe there would be an organization that could go and pursue the truth and find stuff out and then report back to us. I don't know what we would call this, but I'm just spitballing ideas here. 
The Post reported on the multi-million dollar deals that the president's son made with a Chinese energy company. The investigation adds new details and confirms old ones about the ways in which Joe Biden's family has profited from trading overseas on his name, something for which the president deserves criticism for tacitly condoning. So where's that criticism? Oh, it's not in this piece. No, no, no. They just say he deserves some criticism for it that other people are, I guess, levying at him. That's not for us to do. We're merely the editors of the Washington Post. What it does not do, they say, their big story about Hunter Biden's corruption with the Chinese, what that what it does not do, despite some conservatives insistence otherwise, is prove that President Biden acted corruptly. See, again, this ignores the two years worth of investigative reporting that has already been done and the interviews on the record from Mr. Was it Tony Bobolinsky, right? You have a named source. Now, I know it's not in fashion nowadays to rely on named sources willing to go on the record, preferring instead you do to the uh, uh, to interview the people who are familiar with Joe Biden's thinking about a particular topic or people familiar with the conversation that other people had and then were relayed to them. I know you prefer that source for your stories, but in my day, a named on-the-record source confirming data that came from a laptop that was identified as belonging to Hunter Biden by the person who took possession of the laptop from Hunter Biden. That's really good verification. To me, that's enough for reporting purposes. Now, maybe you have a higher standard. You rely on anonymous sources. Fair enough. The Justice Department, meanwhile, continues its inquiry into Hunter Biden. They say, remember, Not an investigation, simply an inquiry. Which I'm sure is how they would treat it if it were Donald Trump's kid, (laughs) right? News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110-1800-570-1110, and uh, Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. So uh, the Washington Post, I mean, yes, okay, it took two years, almost, but at least they are on board acknowledging that the Hunter Biden laptop story was true. That he had a laptop, he left it at a repair shop, a whole bunch of stuff on there, Very incriminating. Oh, and it uh, casts new light on his corrupt, sleazy dealings with China, which we all knew about two years ago. And uh, we also knew about what there's uh, connections to Ukraine and Burisma, another one of these, uh, you know, boards that he got appointed to because of his vast expertise in energy exploration and production. Um Oh, and also the uh, the paintings, right? All of the paintings that he was doing. Look, look people, have be, people have used artwork as a money laundering vehicle forever, okay? So, no, it's not a surprise to me that some gallery owner hooks up with Hunter Biden. Uh, well, I'm, okay, has, has a, 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 
professional relationship with, I should say. An, an inartful expression. I apologize. So he, uh, he goes into business with Hunter Biden, and he's encouraging him to really you know, explore his brilliance and his, his craft as an artist. And then, of course, Hunter Biden paints some stupid-looking canvases and sells them for half a million dollars to unnamed art collectors, a.k.a. the briber. That's what's going on there. He's selling access. We can all see it. We all know it's occurring. And when Hunter Biden talks about having to keep 10% cut out for the big guy, he's talking about Joe. Because Joe's brother is named in other emails. He's not the big guy. People who listen to conservative talk radio know this stuff. Welcome to reality, our friends of the left and the Washington Post editorial board. They go on, so they spend after just a brief moment or two mentioning that, oh yeah, Hunter Biden, shady as bleep, right? Okay. But now we really need to devote more of the piece, and this is actually the majority of their editorial, with a headline called The Hunter Biden Stories and Opportunity for a Reckoning. They spend then most of the time talking about how the media covered this all up. They say, what's more compelling is the question, why confirmation of a story that first surfaced in the fall of 2020 is emerging only now? Gosh, maybe there's somebody y'all could talk to, I don't know, like down the hall that could fill you in on that. When the New York Post published its blockbuster exclusive on the contents of a laptop said to have been abandoned at a Delaware repair shop by Hunter Biden, Mainstream media organizations balked at running with the same narrative. Social media, see how they say that? Running with the same narrative. Why would you, why, first off, you should balk at running with the same narrative, first of all, because that's not journalism. I feel the need to point this out to the editorial board, but that's not what journalism would require, is for you to run with a narrative. This is a false dichotomy argument, a false choice. They're telling us that, well, it was either do nothing or just run with this false narrative and we just were not going to do that. No, you could have actually worked to verify it yourself. That would be journalism. And then once you verify it for yourself, which, by the way, the very same people that gave it to the New York Post offered it to you. I don't know why you couldn't verify it. Didn't know why you refused to verify it, but that is another choice. You could have chosen that path. Back to the piece. Social media sites displayed even greater caution, as they should, because they don't actually employ journalists. You do, right? You guys do that work. Twitter blocked the story altogether, pointing to a policy against hacked materials and suspended the New York Post's account for sharing it. Facebook downranked the story in the algorithms that govern users' news feeds for fear that it was based on misinformation because you guys told them it was. You did. You said it was unverifiable. You then talked about how, oh, look at all these military people and it smacks of a misinformation, disinformation, Russia collusion operation. You guys did that. And that then prompted big tech to follow suit. But now... They say the Washington Post and the New York Times have vouched for many of the relevant communications. Okay, once again, 
Doesn't matter. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's not your job to vouch for something. You verify whether it's true or not. You're not vouching for the relevant communications. So what, it's not true unless you say it is? And it took you two years? Just in time. It took you two years. I forget I forget who I heard say this. It may have been Brett Winterbull, because he's brilliant. And he said, I think, I think I heard him say this. It makes you wonder what, what they've actually got on Hunter Biden. What else is coming down the pike? If this is if they're ready to cut bait on him, they're willing to let him twist. There's got to be worse. Washington Post says, you know, there was reason in this case for reluctance on the part of publications and platforms. And then they say, Rudy Giuliani. It was all Rudy's fault. If it wasn't coming from Rudy Giuliani. Again, you could have taken the information and verified it yourself. But that was too hard.